Good morning. Welcome back to our month-long series on marriage called Save the Date. Uh, Angie and I spent the week as empty nesters this past week. It's the second time that's happened this summer for us. The first time was when all three of our children were at camp for a week. We got to spend the week together. And then this past week, all three of our kids were at Momentum Conference. They're on their way home today. And so we're at that season of life when couples start to wonder, what's this going to be like? Uh, when we have the children out of the home, are we still going to like each other? What, what's, what's this experience going to be like when it's just us? And uh, I, I guess I'm going to ask you, uh, do you think that my kids would be offended if I used the word to describe this past two weeks with just Angie and I, do you think they would be hurt or offended if I used the word glorious <laughs> or wonderful? Uh, I don't know, but it's, it's been great. We, we went out to different restaurants every night, didn't have to take a loan out in order to do that. Because it was just the two of us, uh, we, we've been having a great time. So I think we'll be fine when that day does finally come for us. But between celebrating, this past week was actually our anniversary, between celebrating 25 years of marriage and then our daughter getting engaged recently, our son uh, is dating, uh, we're in that season of life where the subject matter of marriage, it's a, it's a hot topic, it's a, it's a conversation that's happening in our family a lot. We talk a lot about what it means to have a healthy, strong marriage. That's just a topic that's going on a lot in our family lately. And I'm sure there has been probably a point in your life when you have asked those kinds of questions, the kinds of questions that really kind of boil down to what does it take to have a healthy, strong marriage? I'm guessing, I'm pretty confident that no one has ever, at least not here, I don't think, has ever Googled, what does it take? How can I destroy my marriage? I don't think people Google that. I do think that there's times when people look for information. How do I strengthen my marriage? How do I, what are some tips for a healthy marriage? And there really are a lot of great resources available uh, even on even when you Google that question, you'll you'll come across I think some pretty decent resources uh, for how you can maybe save your marriage or how you can improve your marriage. There's lots of incredible resources available to us. I say that to say that nothing I'm going to share with you this morning, or really in the series itself, nothing's really what I would call original. Uh, that we somehow thought up on our own. I don't believe that Angie and I have a patent on any of the things that we are going to share with you in this series, but I do want to share with you some advice. I do want to share with you my heart this morning about some things that Angie and I have learned over the last 25 years about what it takes to have a strong and healthy marriage. Some things that I'm hoping that I've been praying will be helpful to you. So before I get into those, let's just take a moment and ask God for his help. Lord, thank you for 
the blessing of marriage. I do want to thank you for my wife. I want to thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy and strength and endurance that you have, through your Holy Spirit, allowed us to experience over the last 25 years, learning through our mistakes, learning uh, even through your love and grace on uh, how to uh, navigate the challenges, the, the conflicts that, uh, that we just experience in relationship. And so, Lord, I'm praying that the things that we talk about in this series, specifically the things that we talk about today, Lord, I pray that you would help us to have humble hearts before you, that we would hear from your spirit, from your word in an honest way. And the things we talk about today, Lord, would be helpful. We desire to see marriages stronger. Uh, we desire to see families stronger because of your biblical principles being applied. And uh, we're just asking for your help in that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I have five. Uh, that's not, I'm sure, an exhaustive list, but I have five things as I was talking with Angie uh, just having this conversation, what are some things that, uh, that we think would be good, helpful advice for those who are interested in a strong and healthy marriage? So I, I want to share with you the first one was her immediate reaction to that question. I asked her that question. What's the key to a healthy marriage? This was the, not only the first thing out of her mouth, it was an immediate response her immediate response was this, don't let the sun go down while you are angry. And I thought, wow, why that one right out of the gate? As I thought about her response, the first thing I, I thought, okay, that's not like a line from a rom-com from her favorite movie. That's not something she picked up from Dr. Phil. That's actual biblical principled advice. It comes from Ephesians chapter 5. I want to read it to you. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 26 and 27. Nope, 4. Uh, Five's later on, sorry. Chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. And I did ask her, like, why did that come to mind right off the bat? Why was that your immediate response? Well, if you'd put your dirty clothes in the hamper, if you'd stop trimming your beard all over the sink, I wouldn't need to quote that verse to myself so much, <laughs> is not what she said. But that's what I was expecting her to say. I was expecting that to be her answer. This is what she said. She said, because learning how to communicate, learning how to work through conflict is absolutely essential to a healthy marriage. I thought about that response, and I went back you know, over the last 25 years, and I think we knew that principle going into marriage. I think we knew it like, you know, something, you know, it looks good on paper. Like, I think we knew that principle going into marriage was true, but Learning how to live that out, learning how to live that principle out in your everyday life and in your marriage, that just takes time. That takes intentional effort. It takes a ton of God's grace. Especially if you uh, are kind of like Angie and I in this. Uh, I am a very competitive person. That's how I'm wired when 
when I would play uh, Candyland with the kids when they were small, I played to win. I will destroy you at Candyland. I'm a competitive person. My wife tends to be very confident in her opinions. How's that for a carefully worded description of my wife? Well, a competitive person arguing with an opinionated person is not a recipe in itself for easy conflict resolution. So we had to figure that out. She's wired the way God wired her. I'm wired the way God wired me. And there's a lot of good things that come out of the way that God has put us together. We had to learn how to resolve conflict. We had to learn how do we apply this passage to our lives. Really, the passage is like a boundary line to play the game on. There are some things that are out of bounds. There are things that are fouls. You know how in, in, in basketball there's a, there's a foul, there's uh, flags that get thrown in football. And this passage, when you study it, it doesn't forbid anger. In your anger, you're going to get angry. We're going to experience conflict. And when we experience anger, the emotion of anger, this instructs us what to do, more specifically, what not to do with our anger. Very simply put, don't sin. That's easy to remember. I'm not saying it's easy to do. It's easy to remember. In our anger, don't sin. And you can read through different passages of Scripture that talk about what sinful expressions of anger look like. There's passages that talk about losing our temper, passages that talk about outbursts of anger, uh, things that come out of our mouths that are hurtful to others. These are sinful expressions of anger. They are out of bounds. They are fouls on the field. And this passage instructs us to deal with our anger and our conflict. We have to deal with it, but how do we deal with it? Well, you read through other passages of the Scripture, and, and we talk about things like love, and we talk about things like grace. We're going to explore some of those other things this morning, some of those other passages later on. But love, grace, forgiveness, these, these are tools that God has given us to find resolution in our conflict and I'll say this, if you don't have, because I don't know that we're born with this, some people maybe are more naturally wired towards conflict resolution just in their personality, but I don't know that we're necessarily born with it. These are skills. And if you find that you, uh, if you're being honest, don't have good communication skills, you look honestly at yourself and you say, I don't think I've got good conflict resolution skills, the good news is you can get it on Amazon. You can get anything on Amazon. And I'm only half joking about that. There is a book called Love and Respect. That if this is a skill set that you know you need to develop, know that you need to get better at, this is the book I would recommend called Love and Respect. And you can get it on Amazon or wherever you get your books. One of the things I love about this particular book, it gives us uh, some really great examples of conflict 
and why they happen. And some of them are just rooted in the fact that men and women are different and we see the world differently. But there's lots of examples of different types of conflict and how they can be resolved through love and respect. So I would recommend that book to you. Another recommendation, this one's from my wife. I'm not on Facebook. I don't, I don't ever scroll through Instagram, so uh, that's not my thing. But my wife recommended, there's a Facebook page called Fierce Marriage. Never seen it. I'm just going off her recommendation. And this Facebook page uh, called Fierce Marriage, apparently, according to her, really good, has lots of great insights into how to strengthen and improve your marriage in lots of different ways. Um, so I pass that on to you as well. Here's the bottom line. What I get from this passage, uh, don't sin in our anger. That's the boundary line. Those are the fouls that we, we don't want to get. But we also, you see at the end of the passage there, we don't want to give the devil a foothold in our relationships. And anger is like the, the crack in the door. It just opens a little bit, bit so the devil can get his foot in there. And if he can get his foot in there, he can get in and make all kinds of messes in our relationship. Don't give the devil, according to this passage in Ephesians, a foothold in your marriage by letting anger and conflict go unresolved. So that's the first one. Here's the second one. As we reflect on 25 years of marriage, the second thing Stop trying to change him. Stop trying to change her. Now, when you hear that, at first, it sounds like terrible advice. Because when you hear that, your immediate reaction might be, listen, I have a whole list of things that need to change in my spouse. I can think of a whole list of things that need to change in our marriage. He doesn't make me a priority. His hobbies have more of his heart than I do. She spends too much money. I'm pretty sure the UPS driver is now a close personal friend. He's there every day. He won't pick up after himself. It looks like a bomb went off in the bathroom when he's done. She's so focused on the kids that I feel completely ignored, invisible. She needs to stop the incessant nagging. He needs to control his temper. She needs to stop the constant Facebook scrolling because I don't care. He needs to be a stronger spiritual leader. She needs to show me more respect. He's too selfish. She's too opinionated. And no, I was not hiding in your house this week. Listen, I'm not saying that there's nothing that needs to change in your spouse. I'm not saying that there's nothing that needs to change in your marriage. In fact, I'm absolutely confident that there is. How do I know that? Because you married an imperfect person. And this may come as a shock and awe moment, but you, my friend, are an imperfect person. What? Yeah. So how do two imperfect people figure out, first of all, what needs to change? 
either in that person or in the marriage. And then once you identify it, how do you go about actually making those changes? First, stop thinking that you are the one who has the power to change someone at the heart level. That includes yourself. Only God can transform hearts and minds at that level. Now, yes, I believe that there are some changes that can happen uh, in a person's behavior, in a person's attitude, uh, in a marriage, with just some honest, humble conversations. There are some things where we can just, can we just sit and talk about this for a minute? This is bothering me. Can we work this out? Those kind of things absolutely can happen. But there are also things that, uh, that need to change. There are things that need to change in, in you. There are things that need to change in your spouse. There are, there are certain things that need to change in your marriage that are connected to our sinful nature. And those things, we need Jesus. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Write this reference down, look it up, remember it, memorize it. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. Listen to this. But let God transform you into a new person. Who does the transformation? God does. Let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. This is something we trust God to do. The core of the gospel tells us that we are messed up, imperfect sinners and that we desperately need the transforming power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit if we want to experience heart-level change, a change in our worldview the way that we see people around us, the way we see ourselves, the way that we see others. Not only that, but 2 Timothy 3.16 comes to mind. I love that verse. It says that all Scripture is inspired by God. That gives me confidence that when I read God's Word, that it is reliable and it is trustworthy, that I can trust this to be true. And accurate. So I love it for that. But listen to the rest of this. All scripture is inspired by God. Because of that, it is useful to teach me what is true, to make me realize what is wrong in our lives. Oh, I need that. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. God's word is not only reliable, trustworthy, and true, it's useful to teach us how to live. It's useful to teach us how to do marriage. To point out areas in my life, in your life, that need to change, but doesn't just point them out. Here's the five things that need to change in your heart, in your marriage. That's helpful. But the other part of that is we go back and realize that God is the one who then helps us to make the changes. I don't have to just clench my fists really tight, squeeze my eyes, and will myself to change. I can trust, and so can you, on the power of the Holy Spirit to help us realize what needs to change and then give us the power to do it. 
So instead of nagging, instead of yelling and screaming, instead of crying, start praying. Start praying. Pray for God to change the heart and the mind and the behavior and the priorities of your spouse. And while you're at it, pray that God would change you and your heart and your priorities and your behaviors. In fact, Psalm 139, uh, just write this reference down. This is a great verse, two verses, to just have as a daily, maybe even a morning prayer. You could do it at night. You could do it at lunch. It doesn't necessarily have to be uh, connected to any particular time of day. But a daily prayer would be Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. You ready? Listen to this. Search me, O God. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. That, that's a daily prayer that we should all pray. So as we think about things that may need to change or that could improve in our spouse or in our marriage, let's start with, let's start with our own hearts. Let's start with our own lives and, and just ask God, reveal those things in me. And yes, I want to pray for my spouse. Yes, I want to pray for my marriage, but I don't want to forget God work in my heart. Third, it's really, really important if you want a strong, healthy marriage that you are pulling in the same direction towards Jesus. A couple weeks ago, we talked about our purpose in life. Our purpose in life is not marriage. It's good. It can be a blessing to be married, but it's not our purpose in life. Our purpose is to follow Jesus. Our purpose is to put him in the center of our lives and follow him. And a strong, healthy marriage is one in which both husband and wife are pulling in that same direction together. There's this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 that, that gives a caution, gives a warning, gives a, uh, a boundary line that says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. And then it, Paul goes on to describe why, define why that would be, and he says, what, what does an unbeliever and a believer really have in common? And so the, the, the passage itself really is a warning not for a believer not to marry an unbeliever. And he gives his rationale for why. But that image, I think, is also, on the positive side, a beautiful description of a healthy, strong marriage between two believers, See, on the positive side, if we are yoked together, which is a farming illustration with, uh, with another believer, and we're both pulling in the same direction, it can be very rewarding and satisfying. And I wanted to see if I can illustrate that this morning. I'm going to ask uh, Josh and Jamie York if they would come up on stage with me. I'd appreciate it. So I have, we're going to, we're going to, create uh, the, the image. I saw this done down in the uh, Lancaster area where they still have horses that pull plows. We have tractors around here. I, I'm pretty sure we have a gluttony of tractors based on the parade that we had in Martinsburg. We probably have too many tractors, but okay. 
So I'm going to give you this. If you can get that, and you come over here, Jamie. Go ahead and get that around your waist, if you would, just to create. These are my my two horses. I don't know. You guys want to be oxen, whatever you want to be. I don't. It doesn't matter to me. And uh, but they are they are yoked together. You get it? Yeah. Awesome. They are yoked together, and I'm the plow. Okay. I'm I'm the purpose. The purpose is to pull me. No, don't hurt me. You both look like you could beat me up. So, uh, I want us to imagine, though, that you are not equally yoked. Now, I don't want to say who's the believer, unbeliever here, so uh, just volunteer. Who wants to be, just for the purpose of this, the unbeliever? You'll be the unbeliever, just for the purpose of this. I know that you're a believer. All right, so let's say that we have an unbelieving spouse and a believing spouse. And the purpose is, you know, to, to be able to pull, but that's not what's happening. The unbeliever is pulling in a completely different direction than the believer, right? And, and because of that, you're going to pull that way, and you're going to pull that way, and all you're going to do is frustrate each other and become exhausted. And here I sit. Right? The plow doesn't go anywhere. Now, if you decide, though, that one is a, if both are believers and you're pulling in the same direction, now don't pull me off the stage, but if you're both going in the same direction, going that way, well, now all of a sudden, you're fulfilling your purpose, right? That's perfect right there. You're fulfilling your purpose. It's a lot more satisfying. It's a lot more rewarding. Now, it's still work. It's still effort, it still takes uh, intentional uh, effort to move forward together towards Jesus. It's not like it's just, uh, a lazy man's game. But now it's more rewarding and satisfying uh, that you're pulling in the same direction. Thank you so much uh, for, you can untie yourselves there or whatever. All right, thank you. Can we give them a round of applause? That, I'm sure it was awkward. <laughs> and I appreciate it. As you remember that illustration, and hopefully it will be a memorable thing, thanks to the Yorks for helping us with that. I think it's super helpful whenever we come across what I would describe as gender differences in our marriages. And what I mean by that is that men and women are different. What? Yeah. Men and women are hardwired by God differently. It's why you and your spouse can look at the same situation, exact same thing playing out in front of you and see two totally different things. It is not a design flaw. God hardwired men and women differently for a reason. And I think the guy who wrote the book Love and Respect does a really good job of explaining those purposes and reasons. So if you're interested in delving more into that or the book. But I want to give you an example of this in my own life. My wife feels a sense of accomplishment. My wife feels a sense of satisfaction when the bed is made and decorated with seven pillows, the number of perfection. I see the same decorated bed as an unnecessary effort in futility. Just how we see things. How in the world are these two views going to find common ground? Well, if we are both 
pulling in the same direction, if we're both pulling together towards helping each other live Jesus-centered lives, if that's our common focus, then we're only interested in loving each other with the standard that Jesus loves us, that Jesus has set for us, well, it, it impacts the way that we treat each other. It impacts the way that we see things. So I make the bed. I make the bed the way she likes it, even though I don't see the point in it. I make the bed the way she likes it because I love her. And then when she comes in and sees it's not done perfectly, she quietly fixes it the way that she likes it and just appreciates that I tried. Oh, bless his heart, he tried. Because loving each other the way that Jesus loves us is what matters, not a perfectly decorated bed, as important as that is. When we're both pulling in the same direction, when we're both pulling together towards Jesus, life is more satisfying. Fourth, remember that a strong and healthy marriage is not 50-50. Have you ever heard people say that? Healthy marriage is 50-50. Nope, disagree. It is 100% from both. Romans 5, 8. Here's, here's how I would just demonstrate actual, genuine, all-in love. Romans 5, 8. God demonstrated his love. I'm not the standard for love that you're looking for. You aren't either. God is the standard for love that we are shooting for. And God demonstrated his love in this, that while you and I were still sinners, what did Christ die, do for us? He died for us on the cross. He didn't wait for us to make the first move. He initiated that while we were still enemies. He was 100% of himself, was all in, in his love for us on the cross. That's the standard by which we love our spouse. Ephesians 5.25 tells us that, specifically to the husbands. Now, Pastor Caleb is going to expand on Ephesians 5 a lot more next week. I'm not going to get into all the details of that. Uh, you'll get to delve into that next week. But listen to what Ephesians 5.25 says. Husbands, this means love your wives like Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? He died for her. The commitment, the example of love that Jesus sets is 100% all in. It's not meet me halfway. It's not meet me in the middle. It's all in. It's all I have to offer. Choosing to demonstrate sacrificial love and not waiting for the other person to do so first. If you've been to a wedding, even if it was just your own, if like that's the only wedding you've ever been to, 1 Corinthians 13 is almost always read at, at weddings. But there's a reason. Even though it's not about romantic love, Rome, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is a, what a demonstration of genuine love looks like. Listen to the description. Love is patient. It's kind. Love's not jealous, it's not boastful, it's not proud, it's not rude, it does not demand its own way, it's not irritable, 
It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. That's not a 50-50 kind of love. That is a 100% all in how to demonstrate love. I want to ask you this question. I don't expect you to answer out loud, but I do expect you or I'm asking of you to answer internally, honestly. What would your marriage look like? What would your marriage look like if you both gave 100%? How would that impact your marriage? And I'll follow up on the other side of that. What will happen? What will happen to your marriage if you don't? Just let you think through that. That might be a good conversation to have later on. Number five. Number five. Deal with the little things before they become the big things. As we thought through some things that we've learned over the past 25 years, this was definitely part of our conversation. It's so important that you deal with the little things before they become big things. Marriages that blow up, marriages that fall apart, they don't just get bombed out of nowhere without warning. The big thing that blows up the marriage always, always has a trail of small things left in its wake. The affair, we call that the big thing. The affair that blew up the marriage didn't just happen out of nowhere. It started with unchecked, unconfessed, lustful thoughts. It started with inappropriate flirting. It started with looking up an old relationship on Facebook. It started with looking at things online that we shouldn't be looking at. It's, there's a wake of these small things that led up to the big thing. The hatred and bitterness that blew up the marriage. Well, it started with a critical spirit. It started with incessant nagging. It started with just absolute selfishness or pride or misplaced priorities, unresolved conflict. All these little things that kept getting put into the bucket of your marriage. And eventually, the bucket gets full of all the little things and by the time it gets full and you go and you ask for help, look at our bucket, it's full. And, and, and this is what broke the, the camel's back. This thing you look on top and it's like, this is insignificant. Well, this is why you're getting divorced, this thing right here on top? Well, no, it's, it's, it's not that. It's, it's, oh, oh my, there's a whole bucket of things that's never been resolved. How are we ever gonna sort through all of this? Well, pastor, I expect you to fix that in the next 30 minutes in this counseling session. Song of Solomon 2, 15. Catch all the foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love. For the grapevines are blossoming. In the wisdom of Solomon, as he looked at life, he pointed out something very profound. Little foxes, little problems, cause big problems. So deal with the little foxes. How do we do that? How do we deal with them? How do we, how do we make sure that our bucket doesn't get full of all of these things and then we're carrying around something that we don't know how to manage anymore? 
Well, we do it through confession. We do it through repentance. We, we make sure that we deal with things uh, when they happen and, and, and we resolve that conflict while it's small. And, and when we do fail, when we, when we say the thing we shouldn't have said, when we look at the thing we shouldn't have looked at, when we have the thought that we shouldn't have or we express anger in the wrong way, when, when that happens, we repent, we resolve it now. We don't let it become something big. And, and if we start seeing that we are trending in a direction that we shouldn't be in relationships with other people, we have to cut it off. We don't blow it off. We cut it off. We don't, we don't uh, say, that's oh, not a big deal. It's a big deal because the little thing will eventually become the big thing. And before they grow into the big bombshell, sins that blow up marriages. Let's deal with them when they're small. I'm hoping, I've been praying, that at least one of these five things that Angie and I have, have learned over our past 25 years of marriage will be in some way helpful to you today. You know, I don't know how you would describe your marriage. Maybe you would describe it as healthy. Maybe you would describe it as unhealthy. But I do want to challenge you either way. Either way, however you would describe your marriage, I want to encourage you with one more thing, one more thought, and it's just simply this, keep running. Keep running. Marriage is not a sprint. Marriage is a marathon, so keep running. Keep evaluating your own heart first. Ask the question, what does God want to do in my heart? What does God want to change in me? Yes, what does God want to change in my marriage? What does God want to change in my spouse? Let's pray over those things. But what, God, do you want to do in me? Ask the question, God, what do you want me to do to make this marriage stronger? And I'm telling you right now, the answer to that question, if you pray and you ask God, what do you want me to do to, to, to change, what do you want me to do to make this marriage better? The answer is not going to be trade in your spouse for a different model. If that's the answer is in your head, it didn't come from God. You made a covenant. You made a covenant not just with your spouse, you made a covenant with God. And that covenant, and I know this because I read the stuff at the weddings. Like I, I know what it says. The covenant was not, do you promise to be a really good roommate? That's not in the stuff that we read at the weddings. You didn't make a covenant to be a good roommate. You made a covenant to actively, actively, intentionally demonstrate love towards each other. You made a covenant between your spouse and with God that you're going to pull in the same direction towards Jesus. So what can you do this week to demonstrate love towards your spouse? Don't wait for them to make the first move. What can you do today to demonstrate love towards your spouse? And if you're hearing that and you feel like it's too late, you feel like almost hopeless, you're saying in your mind, in your heart, you're saying, I hear what you're saying, it sounds great, but Pastor Mark, you don't understand, I'm pretty sure my marriage is done. I'm pretty sure my marriage is dead. There's no hope, it's too far gone. I would say back to you with love, 
and with grace and with empathy and with all the honesty that I'm able to, 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 to say to you, I can't promise that your struggling marriage is going to survive. I can't make that promise. Because it doesn't just take two, it takes three. It takes three to fix what's broken. It takes you, it takes your spouse, and it takes Jesus. And, and you and Jesus may be all in. You and Jesus may genuinely want to restore what has been broken. But if your spouse refuses, you can't force them to. And that's just a reality that we have to be honest about. But it's also true, it is also true that God can transform hearts. It is also true that God can transform minds. How do I know that? Well, if God can raise dead people back to life, surely God can breathe life back into a dead marriage. That's the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel tells us that we are all sinners, that we are broken, that we are without hope, doomed to hell, except that Jesus stepped in and made a way. A way for us to be forgiven, a way for us to be rescued and redeemed and transformed. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 19, with God, nothing is impossible. If Jesus can save your soul from hell, why can't he save your marriage from destruction? Just like salvation requires us to trust Jesus to do for us what, he can, what we cannot do for ourselves, so does this change in our hearts. So does a change in the way that we think, the way that we behave, the priorities, the desires that we have. We can't do it on our own. We need the power of Christ to help us live Jesus-centered lives. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us pull together towards Jesus Christ. We need that in, in just our own everyday personal priorities and, and, and in our behaviors and our attitudes and the things that come out of our mouths, our hearts, our minds. We need Jesus through the power of his spirit to change these things and we need that in our marriages. So trust Jesus.